Have you ever seen fresh, raw grief? I'm never going to forget the first time that I ever witnessed it. Um, Our minister in Dolby died. He had teenage sons and a wife. And he and his wife, they were just inseparable. They were the kinds of people, you know God had just made them for each other. He was her world, she was his world. And the only one that they loved more than the other was Jesus. But without any warnings and without any symptoms, one day Roy dropped dead of a heart attack. And this was the first time that I've ever actually been reasonably close to somebody who had suddenly and unexpectedly died. So I really didn't know what to do. What what do you do when somebody just drops dead? Do you you wait until the funeral? Do you go and see them straight away? What do you do? Anyway, Robin and I, we decided that the best thing to do was to go and give the family a short visit that very afternoon um, to try and comfort them in their grief and offer them any help that we could. And when we arrived... What, what do you do when you get into a situation like that? All we could do is say, I'm sorry. And we put out, I put my arms around the widow. And I have never seen someone in such utter broken grief. She sobbed and she howled and she howled and she sobbed. And I think that if I wasn't, If she wasn't clutching onto me, her legs would have given way and she would have just been weeping on the floor. Her whole body just shook and convulsed with every sob that came from her. Utter, raw grief. Have you ever seen it? Have you ever experienced it? If you haven't, I want you to remember that grief that I've just described. And this is the sort of grief that James is warning us about when he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. What? Isn't this more the image that we have of the rich? You know, Scrooge McDuck diving into his money bin. Woohoo! It's great to be rich! Why would the rich be miserable? I mean, they've got everything. They've got everything they need. They've got everything they want. There's, they're not limited by having to work. There's, they're not limited by, by poverty. No limits. The world is their oyster. A couple of weeks ago, at about half past four on a Monday morning, I, I got up early. And I was outside and I was looking up at the stars. And... While I was looking up at the stars, I saw this very fast-moving jet, the flashing lights of a jet, and it was moving fast. Now, nothing unusual about that, you might say, but what was unusual is the direction. It was heading due east. Now, that's not any of the major flight paths here at St George. Heading due east, and I thought, my, where have you come from, and where are you going? And you know the saying, there's an app for that? Well, there is an app for that. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I've got it. And and, um, so I went back inside and I got my iPad out and and I opened up the app called Flight Radar 24, which tracks most civil jets and some military flights. And up it popped. And it told me what sort of jet it was. And it was a private jet. It was a Dassault Falcon 7X, a three-engine jet with a range of 11,000 kilometres and a cruising speed of 900 kilometres an hour. That's why it was going so fast. 
And my little app had plotted its course from the time it had taken off from a tiny little island called Seychelles, um, which is north of Madagascar, about 1,500 kilometres east of Africa. Has anyone ever been to Seychelles? That's because you're not rich, at least not rich enough. And, and it had tracked this flight, and I could see where it had gone and taken a little, little bend just once it crossed the Western Australian coast. And it was on track to arrive in Brisbane in plenty of time for them to, after having a, a weekend away, to get to work on time. And that wouldn't worry them because there was a queen-size bed in there that they would comfortably sleep in all the way there. And I was just blown away. What kind of wealth would a person have to possess to be able to treat themselves to such luxuries? It just boggled my mind. And I sort of suspect that if you could afford one of those jets... And if you could afford to fly almost 10,500 kilometres in your private jet to get home from a long weekend away, that you probably wouldn't be weeping and howling about it, would you? So what on earth is James talking about that the rich should weep and howl? We have to understand the tables get turned. James is not talking about earthly misery. He's talking about misery for the coming day of judgment. And on the day of judgment, the rich will be held accountable. Did you know that the rich have extra added responsibilities? And the rich are going to be held accountable for four particular sins that the rich are prone to. The first is that they have stored up treasures in the last days. Now, what are these treasures? What what examples did James use? Now, we've got to realise the examples that James uses as treasures might be different to the treasures of today. All right? Um, But these are these examples. Riches, garments, and gold and silver. Okay, so riches, the Greek word plutos, means much. And what it meant was an abundance of earthly possessions of every kind. But most particularly, it would have been used to to describe an abundance of grain or an abundance of land or an abundance of cattle or an abundance of sheep. And to have an abundance of these things was to be rich. Another class of treasures were garments. Clothing. Now, we might find this a little bit odd because if you went home and had a look in your cupboard, you'd probably be about the same as me and, and you might even have ten or more sets of clothing in your cupboard. Um, but if you're like me, today you could probably go to Lowe's and, and buy yourself a new pair of shorts for $9.95 and then maybe pop over to Target and get another shirt for, for maybe another $9.95 and voila, you've got another whole set of clothes for t- under $20. Um, now, how can we say that, that you know, it's r- the rich store up clothes? See, but we don't realise so much that there was no mass-produced clothing back then. Everything was handmade, even the fabric itself. Can you imagine how many man-hours it would take to weave fabric by hand to make it to wear for yourself? And only a few people, a very few people, could afford more than one set of clothes. And so multiple garments 
were an expression of wealth. And of course, fancy clothes of fine linen. Now, most clothes were made out of a coarse, a coarse thread woven. But can you imagine, like clothes that are woven out of fine cotton or something like what we've got today, imagine what it would cost to have something made out of fine linen back in James's day. And of course, dyes were expensive and so clothes that would have, were of various colours was only for the very wealthy. And then of course the third example was silver and gold. Precious metals equating to cold hard cash. So that's three examples of stored up treasures. An abundance of possessions, including what we might consider as business assets, uh, multiple sets of clothing or fancy clothes, and cold, hard cash. But what would be our equivalent of storing up treasures today? And let's look at them under those headings. So, so riches, having an abundance of earthly possessions. Th- throw a few at me. What? Sorry? Boats, yes. Cars, yep. Houses, land, guns. Sorry? Sorry? Swords. Swords. Yes. Swords. Only the rich store up swords. That's right. Yep. What else? Eye devices. Gadgets. Yep. Coffee machines. Yep. It sounds like everybody's been picking on me because I, I, I specifically heard guns and ski boats coming out there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've already got most of these things, but of course the same things that James considered, we get abundance of grain, abundance of land, abundance of cattle. You know, how about televisions and computers and smartphones? Well, we've got the ga- gadgets and eye gadgets and all that sort of stuff. Several houses or big houses. Um, ski boats, fishing boats, motor cars. How about good horses as opposed to what the people like me used to ride? Um, and even good dogs. Um, what about motorbikes? Forget motorbikes. What about push bikes? You can spend as much on a push bike as, as a cheap motorbike. All right. Hey. Yes. Yes. Wives and concubines. We're talking about what we store up today. How many of you stored up, Roy? <laughs> One's enough. What about garments under that example? Yeah, equivalent today, we could have designer suits, uh, Italian suits, expensive watches, um, sunnies, brand name cosmetics, high priced footwear. What about silver and gold? What's the silver and gold of today? Jewelry? Investments. What sorts of investments? Cash in the bank. Shares. Yep. Sorry. Bars of gold. Gold bullion. Bonds. Government bonds. Yep. Even superannuation. All of this. All of these things are treasures. Now, we all have some of them, don't we? How do we know if we've got too much? How do we know if we're storing them up when we shouldn't be? Because most of us feel we just haven't quite got enough yet. 
James says, come now you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. He's describing having so much stuff that we don't even use it. We don't need it. Clothes in the cupboard that don't get worn out because they either go out of fashion first or they turn into the wrong size. My my clothes seem to shrink just sitting in the cupboard. Or the moths eat them. So they never wear out. Gold and silver that tarnish. We didn't even need it. The last time you had the silver teapot out was to polish the tarnish off of it. And then it went back into the cupboard and it hasn't been used since. Being a grain grower, some people store their grain hoping, oh, I might just get a little bit better price in a few months' time and then the price goes down. But they keep storing the grain and storing the grain and and then the insects start getting into it and the weevils are eating it and... I really obviously didn't need that grain, otherwise I would have sold it and put the money to use. Or if you've got a leaky tarp, then the grain can actually start to go rotten and mouldy. Houses that fall into disrepair because nobody's living in them. Tyres that go flat on the car or the motorbike or the pushbike because it's just been sitting in the shed doing nothing. Or we could start looking at it from the eternal perspective. None of these things, even the stuff that we do use and look after, none of these things are going to last. They are not of eternal value. And James is warning the rich, you've had more than you needed and you've stored it up. And here we are, like they're talking about living in the last days. Now, does that mean they were wrong? Oh, living in the wrong days? No, they were living in the last days. And so if they were, so are we. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. And living in the last days, this is not a time for storing up wealth. Jesus said in Matthew, he said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The rich are those who have more than they need. Are there any any rich people here? A few of you? Yeah. I'm rich. Robin and I are rich. We are so rich. We've got enough meat in our freezer. I don't think I need to go to the butcher for a month. We're rich. We are so rich. We have a bedroom in our house that nobody sleeps in. It's there. It's empty. And it's just waiting just in case a visitor happens to come. And we can say to that visitor, we've got a room for you. We call it the spare room. We are so rich. We are so rich that every year we can stop working for a couple of weeks and we go somewhere and we just put our feet up and do nearly nothing. We are so rich. We are so rich, sometimes we don't even bother cooking for ourselves. 
We go to a place where somebody will come to our table and ask us what we want to eat and we tell them and then they go away and they cook it for us. And then we sit down and we eat it. And, and then we just pay them as we leave and we don't even have to do the washing up. We are so rich. Is anyone else rich? It's a scary thought, isn't it? By world standards, we are all rich. And even though we are rich, let's not store up our treasures. We're living in the last days. So let's use our wealth to store up treasure in heaven. Instead of storing up stuff, whether we consider it personal stuff or whether we consider it business assets, let's not just store it up. Let's use what we have. Let's use what the Lord has given us for the building of God's kingdom. The second thing James condemns the rich for is fraud. Wow. Who would have ever thought that the rich would be fraudulent? Hey? I reckon the most common fraud that the rich commit is to pretend that they're not rich. Have you ever noticed that? I think I've told you this little story before, but a wealthy family one time moved to a new city and they didn't want people to know they were rich. And so the, the parents told the kids, look, we, we're, we're quite poor. We don't have that much. Other people have much more than us. And so on the first day of school, the teacher asked the children to write a paragraph about themselves and their family. And, and the little, little boy wrote, I am poor. My father is poor. My mother is poor. Our maid is poor. The man who flies our jet is poor. See, when we're rich, we pretend that we're not rich. And there seems to be a particular time of year when the rich particularly pretend they're not rich, and that's sort of like the end of June, end of financial year. And the rich may obey the letter of the law, but certainly not the spirit of the law, because it really irks me when some people who have seem to have a very lavish lifestyle seem to pay very little or no tax. But the example that James gives about being fraudulent is because they weren't treating their workers fairly especially seasonal workers. Now, anyone who has staff knows you really have to look after your permanent staff. Otherwise, I mean, you don't want to upset them. They're really valuable staff. You've got to keep them. But sometimes people are just a little bit lax about how they treat their seasonal workers. And what we have to realise is back then, the workers were living hand to mouth. Um, they were paid their wages daily weren't paid fortnightly or weekly or monthly. It was daily because each day they needed to earn just enough for that day or a little bit more, but so that they could then afford to be able to buy something to eat the next day. And so they only earned enough each day. And so when their wages were fraudulently withheld, they suffered. There's no such thing as credit cards you could live off of for a week or two and then pay it back. They suffered. They had nothing to buy their tucker with the next day. Now, this sort of thing happens still today. The rich, how many wealthy things people have you seen where their companies go under and it's the workers who leave with nothing, but the rich seem to still come out of it all right. 
I guess the current example that we see unfolding is Clive Palmer. Here he is, big noting himself, how rich he is and how wonderful he is. But then he's begging for a loan from, or, or guarantor's loan from, from the government to keep a company running. And then, of course, it's all the government's fault when they have to lay off staff. And I think there's still some questions about whether all the workers are going to get their entitlements. And so even if we are rich, let's be fair. In fact, let's be generous. You know, it is often those who are wealthy who are those who will take every little opportunity that they get to make sure that what's theirs stays theirs. And if we're rich, let's not be like that. You know, we're talking before about how Christians can get a bad name in politics. I want to tell you how Christians can get a bad name in business. Um, I've often had people say to me, oh, you know, so-and-so, they're Christians. I just won't deal with the Christians anymore because, you know, they're just always trying to... They're so tight. They're just trying to keep everything that they've got for themselves and they're looking for the best price in what they sell and the lowest price with what they buy. Now, we might think of that as, well, that's just good business sense. Um, But other people can sometimes take it as just being tight and that's just something for us to be aware of. Let's always be fair and let's pay what we owe and let's be generous to those who need. The third thing that the rich were condemned for was for living in luxury and self-indulgence. As soon as I read this, what came to my mind was the story that Jesus told of a rich man who had a beggar living on his doorstep called Lazarus. You know the story? Some of you do. In Luke chapter 16, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple. Now, purple was the most expensive dye you could find. And fine linen. So not this coarse woven stuff, really fine linen. And he feasted sumptuously every day. So the picture that we're getting here of this man living in in, in luxury and extravagance and self-indulgence. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died. And was carried to the angels, sorry, by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off. And Lazarus at his side and cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in the water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child. Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Here we have this rich man 
who lived in luxury and self-indulgence while there was a beggar sitting on his doorstep and he just wished that, that, that he could get to eat some of the scraps that just fell off the rich man's table. There's so much food that... Picture um, Homer Simpson eating and things, stuff falling out of the sides onto the, onto the ground. He just wished he could get some of that. Just, just imagine the, the pitiful look of it. Here he is sitting on the doorstep and the dogs are just there on his sores. We don't have any beggars in our country, or very few, because our welfare system is so good. Our welfare system helps some of our most vulnerable members of society to actually do okay. And even those who are living on welfare in Australia could be considered rich by world standards. Have you ever wondered why so many people are trying so desperately to get into our country? It's because in every way, including financially, they know that they will be far better off here than almost anywhere else in the world. We we hardly even have any beggars. If we want to open our eyes to the poor, we have to begin looking globally. We can't... Just like the rich man... Every time he walked past the doorstep, there was a poor man, the beggar, sitting on his doorstep. He must have either had to look the other way or just been totally hardened against him as he walked past. And we have to be the same way today. You can't tell me you're not aware of beggars on a global scale. And we have to begin caring about people who we'll probably never even meet, the beggars of the world who have no food or shelter or clothes. And I'd like to really encourage you, if you aren't currently connected with some kind of aid organisation like World Vision or Compassion or there's heaps of others, look for a good Christian-led one and, and give. Give to those who are poorest in the world. Even if we are rich, let's not waste it on ourselves with an extravagant lifestyle. Let's use it to be generous to those who have nothing. I guess at the moment, our hearts could go out to those who in Fiji have lost their homes and lost just about everything. James says to the rich, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Right, The day of the Lord is coming. Let's not fatten ourselves up for it. Let's be generous to those who have nothing. And the fourth thing the rich were condemned for is condemnation and murder of the righteous. The rich seem to be able to lord it over the poor even when they've done the right thing. Let me give you two examples from the Bible. And these two examples are two different kings in Israel. One is the best king that Israel ever had and the other is considered about the worst king that Israel ever had. First one is King David. King David was supposed to be at war but he stayed at home. And when he looked out from his rooftop, he saw Bathsheba having a bath and she was naked and very beautiful and even though she was another man's wife, he wanted her. 
And because he was king, he was able to take her. And to cut a long story short, uh, he eventually had her husband, who was an honourable man, he eventually had him killed and David took her as his wife. Then there was King Ahab. And Ahab wanted the vineyard that belonged to Naboth. Um, and it was close to Ahab's palace and, and Ahab wanted to turn it into a veggie patch. Right? Now, Ahab had offered Naboth a fair price for it. Then he offered him good money for it. And he even offered to swap it for other better land in other places. But Naboth would not sell it to him because Naboth thought it would be wrong for me to sell my inheritance. And so even though he has offered good money for it, he would not sell it to him. So what does Ahab do? Well, he does what all of us men do. He goes and has a bit of a sook. And his wife, Queen Jezebel, finds him and says, Ahab, honey, what's wrong with you? And he tells her what's happened and she says, well, aren't you the one who's governing here? Don't worry about it, honey. I'll look after it. And she hatches an evil plot to wrongly accuse Naboth and Naboth gets stoned to death. And then she says to Ahab, go and take possession of your new vineyard. You see, the rich often develop a sense of self-entitlement where because they can afford anything that they want, they feel that they should be able to have whatever they want, even if it belongs to somebody else. And if anybody stands in the way, they'll just walk right over the top of them. They'll, they'll use the law courts, they'll use the courts of the land to, to work for their favour. They may even subvert the laws of the land. And for some, they may even murder, literally. All from a sense of self-entitlement. I can have it. It's my right. You're not going to be using it anyway. I can put it to far greater use. I'll develop it into something far greater. This sense of entitlement that lets them walk all over people. But I want to say also, the very act of hoarding wealth is wrong because it deprives the poor of their very lives. So even though we might be rich, let's not walk all over those who are not. And let's care about the lives of the poor. Okay. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Let's get real about this. Wealth can be a particularly strong obstacle to discipleship. It is very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It is very hard. Jesus said it's as hard for a camel to go through the eye of a needle as what it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples heard that story and they realised the implications of this. Well, well, that's impossible. Who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with God, 
everything is possible. It is possible. It's hard. But it's possible. Now, I want to be really clear. We don't get saved because we use our money to do godly stuff. But because we are saved, because Jesus has died for us and rescued us from this earthly life and and brought us into this eternal life, because of this, we should then start thinking, well, Lord, how would you have me use my treasures? And because we are rich, we have so much more that we have to give up. Because we are rich, we have such a greater responsibility. Because we are rich, we have so many more distractions. There's so much that the world has to offer us that is so pleasurable that we can start setting our hearts on this world instead of setting our hearts on Christ and his eternity and the kingdom of God. We re- because we are rich, we... We have this added responsibilities. And as God's children, we have responsibilities of fairness and care and compassion and selfless generosity. So let's get real. If we're storing up treasures in the last days, whoa. If we're frauds, if we hide our wealth or or start taking advantage of people, oh no. If we live in luxury and self-indulgence, oh. If we walk over the poor or act with a sense of entitlement because we are rich, whoa. Don't be happy about being rich. Be sad. But if we are rich, let's be rich like our heavenly father is rich. Let's use our wealth to be rich in good deeds. Let's use our wealth to be rich in honour and rich in love and being rich in a blessing to others and being rich in seeing that God's kingdom grows It's very hard to be a disciple of Jesus and at the same time be rich. With God it's possible. And I pray that the Lord would so bring our hearts in line with his heart. That the Lord would just go, wow. That's how I want those riches to be used. Because we just start storing up treasures in heaven. Because we're rich like God is rich.